great Scott. Are you a sports fan who loves to have a good laugh? Oh, yeah. Then you're in the right place. I'm going to make him an offer again. Life moves pretty fast. Welcome to the Man Cave Chronicles. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. This week I have actor Keith Coogan. Keith, how you doing? Oh, very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh, no problem. Uh, what's uh, new with you? Oh, uh, uh, celebrating the tale of two Corys on Lifetime TV. Uh, just came out January 6th. Uh, now available for download on Amazon. Oh. Do I sound like I'm selling something on the corner? <laughs> it's okay with that. How was it? The actors always have to, you know, uh, uh, you know, enthusiastically promote everything. It was amazing. Yeah. It was uh, very surreal to be on a set and be recreating some time or place where I was, you know, also running around town. I'm not in the movie as myself, just so that everyone clarifies. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, I'm far too old. I couldn't pull off a, you know, teenage me. <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> what uh, what role? <laughs> what role did you? Uh... Did you play in the movie? I was a not a very good guy. I was a, a chaperone that had come in and and had uh, uh, let's just say taken advantage of, of Corey Haim right in front of Corey Feldman and kind of it uh, in the story in the movie it kind of spins Feldman off into uh, you know not really being able to cope with that and uh, it's I was like it's a two and a half you know minute scene. But uh, creeped everybody out. I definitely, uh, you know, had uh, had fun and some challenges in playing it. And the kids, uh, the cast of Tale of Two Corys that play the young Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, and then the older Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, uh, they're phenomenal. Uh, the piece is heartbreaking. It's shocking, uh, and you uh, absolutely have to watch it. How uh, how close was it to the truth with the whole movie? Oh, uh, I. I you know, there's things you never know, uh, but I was shocked that it was worse than I thought. So I, I believe there's a lot of truth in it. It's probably stuff that was even held back. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, everybody knows you. You know, you've played in, you've been in almost every 80s TV show that I can think of, and you've done some movies in the late 80s and early 90s, but uh, we'll talk about that for a little bit. Um, where are you originally from? Oh, uh, Palm Springs, California, born. Uh, did some time up in Sacramento uh, until I was about four or five years old and then expressed an interest in wanting to get on TV and, you know, do commercials and be one of those kids running around on TV. And my mom and, uh, you know, we came back down to L.A. I think she rented a uh, tennis change room of a place on the beach in the colony in Malibu. So this would be, you know, a back house that has no kitchen, just a, uh, a bathroom and two little rooms next to it, basically a change room yeah. for a tennis court. Uh, and started doing and working there and then, uh, uh, you know, commercials and, and some of those 70s and 80s TV shows you were talking about. And uh, so then, you know, in, in real life, going to public school and then moving into an apartment and then moving into a house and then on, on you know, the work side, uh, romping around on Little House on the Prairie and the Walton, Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Eight is Enough, 
Mark and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, just had a blast. Yeah. Uh, Night Rider, which I'm very proud of. Um, Silver Spoons, Growing Pains, uh, Just the Ten of Us. Uh, so uh, really had a fun time because those are shows that I would watch. Definitely watched a lot of TV growing up, heavily influenced by Saturday Night Live, um, which my mom let me stay up until Mr. Bill. Then I had to go to bed after Mr. Bill. <laughs> Um, how was it playing in like in those TV shows in the eighties? Like especially like Knight Rider, you know, because you know I'm forty years old. You know, you're only a few years older than me. You know, so like we grew up in the same era. Oh yeah, I loved um, stuff with vehicles like the A Team or Knight Rider or uh, we had a show called Riptide, which is this big pink helicopter uh, and took place down at like Marina Del Rey. Um, such a it's a very strange uh, show. Sometimes Super Train, I did. Uh, it's a nuclear train that goes from LA to Chicago in like 48 hours. Um, <laughs> and that was like a murder mystery week to week. It was very strange. It flopped. Huge. Yeah. Uh, nearly bankrupted NBC. So uh, I was a had It's a Living with the uh, waitresses uh, at the roof of the Bonaventure Hotel in uh, L.A. with uh, Ann Gillian was one of the stars of that. Uh, weird, like, there was a lot of gimmick shows. There was a lot yeah. of, um, <clears throat> you know, and kind of rip off of each other's shows. Love Boat and Fantasy Island were probably some of my favorites, and I wound up doing two Love Boats, one with Bob Denver. Wow. Uh, as a dad who trying to get his, you know, kids' attention back. His kids just buried in a comic book about, you know, the superhero Eagle Man. So Bob Denver's request is his wish is to become Eagle Man in the eyes of his son. And so they set up the whole, you know, Eagle Cave and uh, tries to win the, the son's heart back. And so that was really amazing to work with, you know, Bob Denver himself. Yeah. How was it, um... <clears throat> Uh, when you were, you say you started out acting around five years old. What was the first thing you did? Do you remember? Yeah, I was a stand-in, you know, someone who would either do like a hand model or just stand there for the lighting and then um, started to get on camera. And I could read pretty well and uh, memorize, no problem. I started reading probably about three years old, you know, off of Cat in the Hat and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, so my mom would like, read it, sit there and read it with me. And after a while I started to get the, Oh, on this page, this is what they're going to say. And so these squiggly things, this must be those words. And I kind of put that together. So I started to do pretty heavy dialogue stuff, Texaco commercial, Ford commercials, uh, uh, you know, cool whip and uh, Kool-Aid, Charmin, um, uh, uh, KFC and McDonald's and about a hundred uh, national commercials. And then uh, also starting to, you know, I did a movie of the week, one of my first jobs with uh, Jenna Rollins, Jane Alexander and Clue Uliger. And it was a uh, dad that was suing a uh, lesbian couple for custody because, uh, you know, he had divorced one of the, the wives. But, and this was in the 70s when we did very progressive. And uh, so you would get jobs and start working for certain producers. Like I worked for Aaron Spelling and yeah. um, there's producers named uh, William Blinn and, and Jerry Thorpe who would direct. Uh, and I worked for them a lot. Did a series in 
Hawaii called McKinsey's of Paradise Cove. Uh, five kids all underage and their parents have gone missing and they get their uh, drunk neighbor to pretend to be their uncle so they don't get all separated by Child Protective Services. And the uncle played by Klug Uliger. <laughs> um, so, you know, as, as a kid, what were you into? Oh, I was into uh, video games as early as, you know, 76, 77. I'd seen Pong and was just fascinated by that. And so, you know, through the Space Invaders and Donkey Kong and Centipede and, and all the kind of classics still had, you know, love, love, love me some video games and uh, got into, you know, the big hit graphic novels in about 86 uh, with Dark Knight and Watchmen um, and uh, as a film nerd, I would escape off to Westwood uh, here in uh, California has uh, had uh, a dozen theaters. And so you could go and, and there'd always be something playing and always something new. Um, and so I spent a lot of time in the movie theater too. Yeah. Then I was a band geek and a theater nerd. So you were you weren't homeschooled, then you actually went to a real school while you were. Oh yeah, pub, public school. Yeah, and how was that? Do you know, do a lot of people come up to you while you were in school. Uh, no, uh, it was in Malibu, uh, the Malibu Santa Monica Unified School District. Oh my God! Uh, and uh, so it was uh, everyone's. You know, had neighbors or parents or themselves. Uh, were involved in quote the industry, and so they could give a rat's ass. Yeah, they. I did not get really get bothered. I think I got socked once or twice in the stomach, stuffed in the trash can. Oh, you're that guy in TV. Uh, it, it was no big deal. I think uh, other kids <clears throat> had it much worse in terms of the bullying. Yeah. Um. So, um, where did you end up going to college after a uh, school after high school? Mm. So I went to Samo High and then uh, took the California High School Proficiency Examination the moment I had finished the half of, I think, 10th grade. So after 10th grade, and our high school was only 10th, 11th, 12th. So after finishing my sophomore year of high school, I went to Santa Monica City College and started classes there, but got adventures of babysitting just weeks into that uh, semester. And uh, I because of the basically a GED, I wasn't emancipated, okay. but because I graduated high school, uh, I could work as an adult. So longer school hours, no school requirement on the sets and no guardian required. So at 16 years old, I'm off, you know, up to Canada to go shoot adventures of babysitting. Um, and that was about it. Then I did maybe LACC. I took a, a Java programming, object oriented programming yeah. class. Which I got an A. Woo, minus. I lipped off in class a lot, so. Yeah, do you still uh, dabble with a little programming? Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm in the IT. I'm in the IT world. That's why I asked. Right. Oh no, yeah. Everyone calls me and they're you know, hey, am I gonna have an issue with my computer? <laughs> um. <clears throat> so um. After college and everything, and you you said you went into other projects and everything. Um, who did you look up to in acting? Oh, back then there was, you know, pretty much a consensus of like Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman and Christopher Walken. And um, I also looked at, you know, up to my own peers, uh, 
or anyone, you know, even clustered in the same age group of uh, uh, looking up to Patrick Dempsey and Corey Haim and Corey Feldman and Christian Slater and uh, River Phoenix, especially. Uh, so, and, and and also was aware of, you know, classic film and loved uh, the great directors and uh, especially the like auteur 70s, indie, Lucas, Spielberg, Coppola, Cimino, De Palma, um, those all rang a, a really big bell with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, heavily influenced by like Exorcist, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, Clockwork Orange, uh, The Sting. Uh, so I just I loved you know what whatever Hollywood was pumping out. Yeah. I, uh, I loved it. An '80s film, probably saw every single movie between you know, 82 and, uh, you know, 89 in a movie theater. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, don't know if the, I don't know if the listeners know now that your grandfather was Jack, uh, Jackie Coogan. He was like one of the first child actors. How was it, uh, you know, having him as a grandfather? Oh, he was just a regular old uh, grandfather. And, uh, you know, he uh, let everyone, would remind everyone, of course, from time to time, and uh, I didn't really catch on until I was a little older, maybe eight years old, um, kind of the significance of his, you know, he was the world's first film child star. And there had been other uh, uh, children, I think, in French cinema, but they hadn't achieved worldwide fame. And uh, he had worked with Chaplin and yeah. um, grown up, you know, in the industry you know, born into a trunk on vaudeville, basically on the side of the stage. <laughs> and so this was his, um, he was a master at this profession and had done it for so many years and shifted gears into television or playing heavies in like sci-fi and B movies and, uh, doing head movies. Um, he finally lands uncle Fester on the Adams family and has this, you know, kind of amazing comeback. And yeah. it was, you know, newer audiences had to be told about his connection to <clears throat> the kid and Charlie Chaplin. And, and, and so that was uh, remarkable and, and a, uh, a relief when you are warned ahead of time that if you're going to do this as an actor, that it's very cyclical and you can have your ups and your downs and comebacks and, and, and you know, it's really just focused about doing the work, being prepared, being professional uh, and giving it everything that you got. How was it auditioning for uh, TVs and movies in the 80s and early 90s? Well, it's uh, navigating the streets of L.A. to go hit up, you know, two or three different auditions in an afternoon. And you have to, you only have between a little bit after 3 o'clock and, you know, 6 o'clock to school. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what they're doing now. Uh, I've heard that there are uh, some casting directors or rumors that they've been having calls earlier than that because so many of the children uh, in the industry go to uh, private schools or schools that cater to kids in the industry where the schedule is really flexible. It's self-guided. Um, and, uh, and also, because of private tutoring on the set, when you do work, and you're a child in the industry, you get three hours a day. And most of the time, you're the only kid on a show, especially in like 70s and 80s. 
um, you, you know, maybe a few kids, but a lot of times it would be three hours one-on-one. And so you'd be, you'd be through all the textbooks you've done, taken all this to get past it. Now, do you have the same social experience as being in, you know, a public school or growing up <clears throat> like a quote, regular kid? And remember, yeah. this is really just the same obsession you could apply to football team or being in band or, you know, really being into science, whatever it is, uh, that it's, Similar, it's the same kind of dedication and the time they have to put into it, and the you know the other competition. Um, so then you go run into town and find parking and run in and sign in, and you see all the other kids there that are going up for your role with their families and their moms and their dads. And then you um, run into the room and you get two minutes, you know, hello, and then read the scene and maybe get a piece of direction, read the scene again, and then get out, and then run to the next audition. Wow. And now it seems like uh, auditions are like you could do everything through the computer. Uh, yeah, I did. I got the tale of two Corys. I actually got off of an iPhone audition. Uh, <laughs> so you, you just do like uh, you just film yourself for like two minutes and just send it in. I uh, did. My wife was actually behind the camera, uh, the iPhone. Uh, and that was um uh, I, you know, I'd heard rumors like House uh, had been cast uh, while uh, House was shooting um, Flight of the Phoenix in like Namibia. And uh, I was like always inspired to get book a job uh, based on a video audition. Now, granted, I didn't get the audition of the person I went up for. I got another part in it, but still it counts. Yeah. Did you ever audition for any uh, like iconic '80s movies that you almost had and you didn't get, and you were, you know, somebody else got, and you were like, "Oh man, I was almost in this movie." Uh, a couple E.T., Goonies, Gremlins, Stand by Me, A Christmas Story, uh, you name it. Everybody yeah. kind of went up for everything. Yeah. Um, who are who are your, like some of your friends during that time in the '80s and '90s that you hung out with? Oh, uh, well, one of my best friends, uh, Gabe Jarrett, who was Mitch in Real Genius. Uh, Jake Busey, Gary Busey's son. He lived up the street from me. Uh, went to school with uh, Chad Lowe, was just a year or two older. Uh, and then the the other older generation, just, you know, they were just out of whatever school we were in. We'd made it into junior high. They'd already moved on to high school was uh, the Sean Penn and Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez uh, crowd <clears throat> and Rob Lowe crowd. Uh, so that's why it wasn't a big deal, whatever I was doing. Those guys, the, the, the brat pack, so to speak, uh, had all the attention in the you know mid early and mid-80s. Yeah. Um, they owned that decade. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um... Like I said, like I said earlier, you know, everybody knows you from the movies, like you know, Adventures of Babysitting, and they'll tell mom the babysitter is dead. How was it uh, being in Adventures of Babysitting? That was amazing. Uh, huge love from the studio, uh, Disney, Touchstone Pictures, uh, Chris Columbus, uh, Deborah Hill, Linda Oaks, uh, as, as director and the producers, um, just made it so easy for us to pretend to be running around uh, Chicago chased by the mob. Uh, and 
and and that they allowed uh, a lot of development on the relationships and these kids and keep trying to make it real and grounded. And I, it's endearing. I love it. I love, there's, you know, there'll be times where we'll have screenings. We just had a 30th anniversary screenings. Uh, last year was the 30th uh, uh, year the, since it had come out. Yeah. And uh, so we, uh, you know, had a chance to go from screenings and, uh, you know, the audience just, you know, they, they love it. They love, uh, and uh, everyone, Maya Bruton, Anthony Rapp, Lisa, Elizabeth Shue, just, uh, phenomenal in the, it is you know her picture yeah. uh and uh it, it, you know other cast members like Vincent D'Onofrio I know out of nowhere you know as Thor mighty god of thunder um you know it's something and also I I hope I you know if it's not just pure nostalgia but people of any age can kind of enjoy it yeah yeah I was actually just telling my wife early this morning that I can't wait for like you know, our daughter to get older so we could introduce her to movies like this. Yeah, well, yeah, give it a few. Uh, <laughs> I would recommend parents let the kids watch Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead before yeah. Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> just because just of the language. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you probably get this asked a lot, but I was told to ask you, how was it working with Elizabeth Shue? Oh, it was, it was a dream. She's uh, a leader on the set. Uh, and uh, somebody to follow in terms of preparation and jumping into it and trying to make it, you know, fresh each time and try to really experience it uh, as you're going. And and as I said, the, the you know everyone from Todd Hallowell in the art department uh, to the, the production designer created these amazing environments and sets and uh, worked with making Toronto look as much like Chicago as possible. And then. The, the several weeks we shot in Chicago cemented the deal. Uh, so it was, uh, as we traveled from city to city and hotel to hotel, um, you know, Elizabeth's shoe just made it look absolutely easy. Uh, and she did it effortlessly. And of course I had a tremendous crush on her. I think everybody did back then, especially from the karate kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> did you ask her out? I don't. People want to know. Of course, I did. Oh yeah, yeah. She laughed in my face, so I just kind of took that in. I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's so, absurd. She's older. It's not going to work out, especially yeah. high school. Come on. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, you're right about that. And how was it uh, working on the set for um, uh, "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead" with uh, Christina Applegate? Oh, a big fun uh, summer romp. We shot it in really hot summer. Uh, just. Uh, north of LA, about 40 minutes uh, in Santa Clarita, which is near Magic Mountain. Uh, if anyone's been out to our Six Flags Magic Mountain, um, it's hot. Uh, and I was in a wig and, you know, leather jackets and jeans mm. and uh, sweltering. And uh, it was fun. Uh, it was, you know, very family. Everyone was encouraged, all of the uh, crew, to go ahead and bring your family. Uh, to set and uh, play with the Crandall kids. And uh, so there were uh, pogo sticks and hula hoops and, uh, you know, fun things to do, squirt guns and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it was, uh, we, and this one shot house that we filmed at, um, we took it from bad to worse 
and just wrecked it basically and then cleaned it up again and then threw the big party. And it was kind of shot in sequence to be able to do all that. Hmm. Uh, so it was a just a huge kind of almost camp out at this. And a lot of it, and then we started shooting at nights and it was very weird to wake up and be stuck in traffic while you're trying to go home and everyone else is just trying to go to work. Uh, and then you repeat the process. You get some sleep and then you wake up and, you know, it's, you wake up and start going to set around three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, it's rush hour traffic going home. It was very weird. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, it was so that, once again, Christina Applegate leading the charge uh, knew exactly what, you know, she wanted to do with the scene. And it, we all happened to agree. Uh, it was incredibly well written. Uh, Tara Eisen and uh, Neil Landau uh, wrote just a really tight script yeah. that, you know, not much had to be cut out after uh, filming. And, you know, you always lose bits and pieces of something. But uh, uh, Steve Herrick, I mean, uh, sorry, yeah, Steve Herrick, uh, who directed Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, um, he just had the perfect kind of semi-serial comic tone. Um, as as darkly skewering as you could a uh, Secret of My Success or Working Girl style picture uh, I just handed something in that I, I, I think people really love watching too. We saw it with a crowd at the, of all places, uh, the Hammer Museum, the Billy Wilder Theater on the UCLA campus. Uh, it had uh, 14 films like Norma Ray and Nine to Five, uh, and somehow Don't Come on the Babysitter's Dead was part of this. Yeah. <clears throat> Classic. Oh yeah. Uh, what advice do you give people that want to get into acting? Oh, uh, research and study and work and try. Uh, there's always something local. Uh, master that. Uh, take classes. Um, do any local theater or print or at TV and investigate, you know, the unions when it's time to maybe move to New York or LA or Chicago or Bay area, um, or even Atlanta, there's work, you know, <clears throat> all around the country. Yeah. How do you like, how do you try uh, to improve like some of your acting skills still to this oh, day? I, I teach, which I think I learned so much from, seeing uh, students work that, you know, some may be new and some may have been doing this for years. And I love seeing, and myself as a teacher, I love learning, uh, watching other people work. Um, I, just watching TV is research for me. But uh, being in a class and help, uh, helping teach a class, that is one of the biggest things I've learned you know, in terms of like do's and don'ts or uh, ways of approaching, um, you know, performing, and uh, so that's that's one of well, that's one of the ways. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> now, uh, what do you think is the hardest role that you ever played? Oh, uh, good question. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question. I can't think of any. I mean, there was times where uh, safety had been an issue here or there, but you know, there's no one. There's no one's real fault. Um, uh, so no, I can't remember. No, I can't remember. No. 
Do you have a dream role? <laughs> that you always wanted oh, to play? Oh, gosh. I, I always wanted to play some, like, Irish boxer guy. But now I'm, like, 48, so I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, do you have a favorite character that you, uh, that you liked that you performed? Uh, I, I, I'm... Yes and no. I mean, I all of them are endearing in, in a way and, you know, ultimately have little bits of you in them uh, as an actor. So, uh, you know, I love Kenny, uh, but I also love Bitch from Cousins and <laughs> Brad and from Rich the Babysitting. And I love Crutch from Book of Love and Patrick from Hiding Out. And, you know, they're all have their own idiosyncrasies. Uh, but uh, Kenny, I thought was as far from you know kind of me or what my image was <clears throat> i was i think i was 19 maybe 20 shooting uh don't have on the base series dead playing a 15 year old and i was a nerd uh you know playing this stoner guy so uh that was a fun risk and stretch like chance for me and i really think uh you know casting and uh, Sharon Bialy, I want to thank Warner, Warner Brothers for uh, taking that risk and uh, you know casting this nerd who had a, a crew, flat top from Cheetah. I just shot Cheetah in Africa and still have this really short uh, haircut. So, um, and you also, uh, you hosted a, a show called The Call Sheet? Yes, I had a uh, radio show on um, Kid Row Studios that uh, was just Tales of L.A. and the Bone Machine. And uh, had some great guests, uh, Scotty Schwartz, and Billy Zabka, Leanne Curtis, Brad Keston. Uh, I, it was, uh, oh, uh, David Mendenhall and uh, Noah Hathaway. Uh, and it was just a, you know, frank kind of look. Same thing we're doing now, uh, bringing on people that I like, most of them I've worked with. Um, so I, I had a blast. Scheduling was tough. That was yeah. the one thing. It was very, very tough uh, doing, yeah, so doing uh, doing that. So, no, I, I do. I think, uh, uh I think I had I said Sharon Bialy on Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. All of the casting, Janet Hutchinson, Jane Jenkins, Mike Fenton. Um, that there were certain casting directors I never did book with uh, when I was younger. Yeah, and that was for stuff like School Ties or uh, and Howard Fuhrer. I really I wanted to get through and get cast by Howard Fuhrer. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that I saw it on Instagram that you. Uh... You're doing a few of the comic cons. Do you enjoy doing those? Oh, they're so much fun. Yeah. No, I love uh, love me and my wife, Pinky. Uh, we love meeting fans and going to these comic cons. And, you know, there's often other great guests and, you know, people that I've known or worked with or seen around or want to, you know, meet. Uh, so they're a big, fun, big adventure for us. Yeah, I went to my first one last year just to go meet uh, Billy Zapka. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, so you know it was fun. What is a cool. fu- what is a fun fact about you that you want the listeners to know? 
a fun fact about that I am in uh, well, uh, I'm a very careful driver and uh, will not cross a line, no U-turn, I won't do it. I'll go completely out of my way a mile and a half to, you know, make four rights or whatever. Uh, very uh, diligent driver. <laughs> uh, and I've, I got two, uh, two uh, Twitter questions for you. Uh, what's the one question you hate getting asked during interviews? Uh, what's it like to work with Elizabeth Shue? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. And uh, <laughs> what's one question you wish you always get asked? Oh, uh, anything about my grandfather? Because I love uh, talking about him and his, uh, you know, work. Uh, to uh, I mean, he had done all these great pieces, lost all of his money. There's a labor law named after the Coogan Act that protects kids now. You know, 15 percent of their money put away into a block trust account and safety conditions and working hours on the set. Uh, school requirements on the set, all because uh, of him. And then, you know, uh, married Betty Grable, divorced Betty Grable, uh, fought in World War II, glider pilot over Burma, uh, made it through uh, B-movies and sci-fi westerns, uh, playing bad guys, good guys, then Uncle Fester, and just, you know, and and having a great family. That was the thing, you know, you asked him about my grandfather earlier, he was just grandpa. Yeah. His grandpa in his chair with his iced tea, watching his programs, and uh, uh, you know we we loved him very very much. And when he died, um, uh, Los Angeles in uh, during Thanksgiving was always an Adams Family marathon. You know the original show, and so we'd put it on in hmm. another room. And uh, every once in a while, you hear Grandpa's voice coming out of the speaker. Right. So finally. Um... You dabbled with a little bit of stand-up comedy also, haven't you? I did dabble. Yeah. How, uh, how was that? It was amazing. It had, uh, set, you know, uh, had to write my own act. Uh, and uh, the one online is the first time I'd, I've ever done it. It had to be the first time. It was called The Virgin Sacrifice at Westside Comedy. And uh, it was nerve-wracking, but I prepared and had a lot of friends and family in the audience. So it was, uh, and, and amazing people that went up before, uh, all known comics, just kind of setting everybody up. But it was, uh, uh, then I tried it again, Coyotes of Comedy out in uh, Redlands, and it kind of bombed. I, it fizzled for a while, and I kind of learned and listened to the audience. So I've learned a lot. I've only done it twice now, uh, but uh, loved it. It's scary. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> All right. And finally, how can the listeners find you online? KeithCooganOnline.com. Uh, Twitter, Keith Coogan. Instagram, Keith Coogan. All right. And is there anything else you want to share with the listeners before we end this? Oh, no. Uh, just thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and uh, rock and roll. Right. Thanks for uh, coming on.
Dragon the line. 